Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. Uh, I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show and uh, really great to be with you all. And uh, I have another new guest today uh, and we're talking about a really interesting topic as well. So uh, welcome to the show, Suzanne DeWitt Hall. Hello, James, and everyone listening. I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here. Um, it's really great to have you on the show. Suzanne has written a lot of books and does a lot of writing, and she's written a book on a topic which I think is really, really important and that we need to talk about more, uh, and uh, which is called Sex with God. Now, that's a really awesome title just right there. Um <laughs> that's a great title for a book uh quite provocative in a way but in a really good way i think um and um it's a book about sex obviously outside of purity culture purity culture issues around purity culture in the church which if people don't know what purity culture is it's kind of this idea that you have to have sex within marriage between a man and a woman basically that's purity culture uh any kind of sex outside of that is is wrong uh, so um, this book kind of explores coming out of that so I'm really excited to talk about it so tell us a bit about your story and your journey into kind of writing this book sure um, well I started my, my story is, is uh, kind of complicated it's hard to know where to jump in actually but I'll, I'll start with the content of this book about maybe 12 years ago or so, my spouse tells me it's probably been about that long. Um, I was in a very unhappy marriage to my husband at the time. And we'd been high school sweethearts. And um, I'm in my 50s now, so that tells you. Uh, we got married, um, you know, we were high school sweethearts, and we got married a bit after high school. And it, you know, wasn't a great match from the beginning, and it wasn't... It, you know, continued and, and didn't go well. Mm. So I am at the, towards the end, I started searching for faith. I think I was always hungry for God and didn't really do anything about it. And um, I started searching for my faith and going to a socially conservative church. Mm. And um, throughout that period, I began exploring this hunger in my in my heart, in my life, in my soul, um, for something, for intimacy. I think for for God, for sure. And I started writing about it, and I started writing about the intersection of um, Christianity and sexuality, and exploring the topic of desire. And I started a, a blog called Theology of Desire. Mm. Then I've turned that into a companion book to Sex with God because the two themes go kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Um, so writing that kind of helped me cope with my loneliness. It gave me an outlet for all of these feelings that I was having. Um, mm. And in the midst of that, I ended up meeting um, this person who is now my spouse. Um, she and I... We met in this socially conservative church and fell in love, even though both of us had were at the time married and at the ends of our marriages, two men, both of us 
had assumed that we were heterosexual. And we um, became friends, and after a couple years of friendship, that was deepening, deepening and deepening. It transformed into love. Um, and we were both super involved with our church. Um, my formation had been largely Roman Catholic in its um, in its overall feel. My the church wasn't, but my formation had been because I did a lot of studying and, and research about the about Catholic teaching. Mm. And so my own thinking about sexuality was largely formed by Roman Catholic teaching. So um, homosexuality to me was intrinsically disordered. That's the that's the phrase that's used there. And her, their um, formation was largely Southern Baptist, so it was more focused on just plain simple. Um, mm. And, you know, you're going to go to hell if you're gay. Um, yeah. So both of us met in this socially conservative church, patriarchal, it's all-male rector's council, all-male structure all the way up to a patriarch. Um, and we didn't know what the heck we were supposed to do with all that. Um but we knew God was in it. I mean, it was the 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 fruit was so clear, and the and the love was so profound and different. And uh, mm. we knew that God was in it, and so um, we we ended up divorcing the husband, and um, several years later marrying. And uh, we had to really kind of go through the scriptures with a different. Um, Lens. It forced us to evaluate scripture in a way that we hadn't before. We really took um, the Bible. Uh, I, I wasn't a literalist, and neither were they. But we did take it very seriously as as the will of God, the word of God, um, the truth, and a rule book, right? Um, and so we're like, okay, well, we know God is in our relationship. And we believe that God is in the scriptures. So how do those two things mix? How do they, how do they uh, meld? What, is, what are we supposed to make of it? And as a result of that, we were doing Bible studies every day, um, you know, doing the daily meetings and going to church every Sunday, very active in whatever church we were part of. Um, God was revealing himself differently because of this new perspective. And we, I started taking notes on the things that we were discussing and what God was revealing, and that turned into my first devotional, which came out a few years ago, called Where True Love Is. Hmm. And that book is kind of like a systematic theology. It, it starts out by looking at who God is and what scriptures are and what the law is and how Jesus interacted with the law and violated the law um, and spoke about the law. And after all of that kind of stuff, it, it explores... Uh, sexual orientation and gender identity because you can't really look at those things without that framework and you know everything we're all looking at those issues from that whether we think about that as the framework or not Um, after that I wrote a book called Transfigured because the first one we were you know we were increasingly connected into the LGBTQIA plus community Mm -hmm. and seeing the pain of um, transgender folks and the persecution and you know the, the violence um, so I wrote Transfigured, which focuses specifically on gender identity, gender, um, you know, transgender people and, and gender queer folk. Um, so then I wrote one for parents 
and friends who are struggling when a loved one comes out. That one's called I Don't Want Them to Go to Hell. Um, and then my beloved, I call them Dolce. They're non-binary um, gender. Um, they started urging me to be looking at writing about sex. And I had this um, collection of Theology of Desire posts from that blog, and it had been a topic that had been with me, and it's all interrelated to the other devotionals because, um, you know, how we experience our sexual selves is, is related to our gender identities frequently and our, obviously, our sexual orientation. And, you know, sexuality is just one part of our overall spirit that's, that's God, God designed and God ordained. Um, and my doce had been the first person really to read that blog, Theology of Desire, and it had resonated, resonated so strongly with them that they've been urging me to, to write about it for, for years and to turn it into something else. And so I wrote Theology of Desire. First, I wasn't sure, should I put them all, put all of this into one book? And then I decided and realized that they kind of need to be separate because they're, they're intrinsically connected, but the topics are enough to stand alone. So... A Theology of Desire talks about the, the longing of God for us and us for God um, and how that's manifested um, in the scriptures and in our hearts and in the world, in our, our hunger to be one with another person. Um, and then, so Sex with God, to finally get to, you know, to this book, is... Um, the, the subtitle is Meditations on the Sacred Nature of Sex in a Post-Purity Culture World. This deals more with this, this deals more with the you know with with sex itself and how it is a reflection of um, of God themselves. Uh, you know how we are made in the image and likeness of God means that in some way you know God is a God of sex. So that brings us to today and me talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah, and I no, it's, a lot. that was a, a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's some journey, uh, and it's really interesting to hear the whole arc of that journey you've been on and how that's expressed itself creatively as well. Um, I love that. I love that. It's so great, uh, and it's really. I, I, I was saying before, it was really, really needed. Books like this are really, really needed because we, there's many of us, including myself, who who have kind of grown up in this whole idea of you don't have sex before marriage, you don't do certain other other things before marriage, uh, and then when you get married, it's suddenly great, uh, and the whole psychological damage that does to people, uh, and even the physical damage in one sense because there's a trauma involved in it. Actually, when you come out of it, uh, in my my case anyway, uh, there's a whole load of issues that that get poured on you, and it's it's all about shame and and guilt, and you know it's like one moment it's it's like okay, one minute it's it's totally wrong to do something, and then suddenly it's oh it's okay, let's do lots of this, and your brain your brains aren't meant to de- aren't meant to process things like that, uh, and. You can't just suddenly switch off all that stuff you've learned, you know. Uh, and it, it doesn't make to me. It doesn't even make sense, anyway. I haven't, I haven't studied the theology of it, but I don't think there's enough. And you'll be able to tell me this better than, than better than I will know. 
I don't think there's enough in scripture that says that that, that theology is even accurate anyway, uh, or of the divine. But I'd love to hear what you what you've what you've learned and what you've found out about that. Well, you know, I think both marriage and sex, we have tried to um, form it into something. Uh, We've tried to form the scriptures, we try to use the scriptures to fit the purity culture model, when in fact, the scriptures and sex are really confusing. There's a lot of rape, there's a lot of polygamy, you know, tons of them, faith heroes have lots of wives and um yeah and concubines. you know some of the i mean the wisest man in the world you know was solomon who wrote the song of songs which is erotic love poetry and had you know over a thousand um females that he had sexual relationships with presumably they were wives and concubines yeah um, yeah so the story of sexuality you know, when we when we try to look at defining sexual mores from a biblical standpoint, I think it leads us to a number of problems. Clearly, there are some some rules that are specifically laid out. You know, that that say do's and don'ts, but the models themselves are are tricky. You know, it's it's really hard for me. It, it's it's confusing to me how people can demand a one man one woman model for marriage, given the scriptures and how frequently it's one man, many women. Um, you know, if we're going to go with a sort of the biblical model for marriage, it, people could argue it's one man, many women. So, um, you know, this uh, Sex with God is the first book that I didn't start each day with a scripture, a Christian scripture passage. All the other books did. Um, I'm kind of increasingly sort of moving away from that model. And um, so there's a lot of scripture in it, but it's not scripture driven. Um, it's God driven. Um, I think the one thing is that sex is a repeated theme because sex is equated fidelity, marital fidelity specifically, is equated to um, people of faith fidelity to God, right? So we've got um, we've got stories where um, the, the people are just likened to an unfaithful wife um, and have to go through trials uh, when they turn away from their their God, their husband, you know, who is who is presented as a husband. Um, you've got the Song of Songs, like I said, which is erotic love poetry, which is understood to be a description of God's relationship with us and us with them. You know, we're described as the church is the bride of Christ. Um, in the book of Revelation, it closes in uh, the, a wedding a celebration, a wedding banquet. Um, so there is all this imagery that is of, of our relationship with God in a marital sense. And, you know, part of marriage is, uh, you know, is a sexual union and, you know, that knowing, that, that the biblical knowing means to have a sexual union with, and that, you know, in marriage that it's procreative, um, in, in that same understanding. 
which is very important in in biblical terms, right? And and passing along the line and all the and all the uh, all the uh, sort of the, the the structure, the cultural structure of the day and the and the place. So you know, the scriptures are are filled and fraught with sex, mm-hmm. um, but it is not a it is not a clean and even picture. You know, so yeah. which is why we have to look at the person who is God. I mean, this this book starts out with um, God's view of sex. You know, all my books, I think, end up starting out with you know, let's let's look at who God is, and God is love, right? I mean, Jesus came, and we find out that God is love, and that yeah. there is. I think it's probably in John where um, Jesus says, "When you see me, you see the Father," and I think most of us have looked at that to say, "Oh, Jesus is saying that." He is divine, right? That he is he is God's son, which means there's divinity there. But I think it's so hugely important to reverse that and to say that when we think about God, we should think about who Jesus is and what Jesus showed us, um, and those words that that God is love. So if if Jesus was kind of in one way not just sent to you know be a substitute goat that gets killed for us, but to be to show us who God is. To, you know, God, Emmanuel, God with us, so we need to pay attention. If God is with us, we need to pay attention to what that means and what that looks like. And if God is love, then that should impact um, so much of our understanding of everything, of scripture, of other people, of love, of sex, of social justice, of race, of, you know, of just of everything, um, so increasingly, I am focused on trying to figure out who God is, um, and less so on what specific words in the Bible are. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Oh, yeah, absolutely. People are so focused on, I mean, conservatives especially, evangelicals, you know, legalistic people are so focused on the exact wording that they're missing the heart of what it's about uh, and you alluded to this just now about, about um, Solomon and his thousand sexual partners you know um, which I can't even get my head around to be honest um, yeah. <laughs> how do you do that like yeah I just can't get my head around that. But um, and also there was another. I think in, there's another part of scripture where, I think it's an Old Testament thing where there's a commandment for a widowed wife to marry the brother of her husband if she's widowed. Right. And this was, and when it was written, this was progressive for its time, because before that, widowed women were just kind of excluded from the family and had no living and had no support and were just kind of outcasts and had nothing. We're not entitled to anything. So this was kind of progressive for its time. But nevertheless, it's saying, oh, it's okay for a man to have two wives. Like, and this was like a godly thing. You know, so it's very, very, you can't say, you can't, like you say, you can't go and say, oh, it's scriptural for... A man to marry a woman and that to be it between them and it has to be that way. And that's the only way that you can have sexual expression or intimate relationship. Um because it's not that's not accurate. Um 
Yeah, and again, it's it's taking it's it's like you say, it's twisting the scripture to suit an argument, to suit an agenda, almost like um, rather than kind of the other way around. And like you say, missing the heart of what the scripture is, which is God is love. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the funniest things to me is when people say, oh, it's like Adam and Eve. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Um, because when you look at that first couple, so let's just, yeah. you know, there's, there's all of the complexity around what the early writings actually were, right? Yeah. And how they were how they were passed down and how they're yeah. not actually science. They're creation mythology, you know, and that there's truths and deep truths in them. But it's not a history, it's not literally a history book. It's not, and it's not, certainly not a science book. But anyway, so let's just say that it, the story was literally the way it's described. We're using that as a model for marriage. So in this model for marriage, basically you've got a clone, right? They took some flesh from, you know, from one of the beings and, and created another being. So first of all, um, Eve is a clone of Adam, and so, but somehow female. So in an optimal marriage, you should be a clone. You should not have a choice of any other person because there weren't any other humans around. And um, it's immediately dysfunctional, right? I mean, what a dysfunctional marriage it is. And they were never actually married, as we understand marriage, in any way, shape, or form. They're like common law, I suppose. But so we're using, you know, these contemporary Christians who are saying, demanding that what Jesus was talking about when he was, when the Pharisees were probing him about divorce, and he mentioned, as you know, like it was in the beginning, um, Adam and Eve, he's talking about striving for this impossible union of two creatures that were one, um, and that, you know, God would love for all of us to have this this incredible union, um, but it's, it's, it's really an impossible union to demand that this couple who clearly are not the way we want marriage to be yeah. is, is what they cling on as the model for marriage is just, it's astonishing. It is. It is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, and when I kind of started unlearning all of this stuff and really examining it, um, yeah. I know it was it's incredible and the weird thing is I actually started doing this work this unlearning and theological stuff before I actually left kind of what, what I would call organised Christianity uh, yeah um, if that makes sense uh, I actually started doing it before that and it was kind of like well actually isn't this just about connection mm. like some deep intimate subconscious connection between two people like sex is about connection between two people isn't the word actually i think somebody said i heard rob bill once say the word sext is about is comes from connection or something oh. it's it's linked to the word connection anyway it's, it's it's about connection between two people or two spirits or two you know two souls uh and and that to me that that makes so much more sense when you're talking about sex, like true intimacy between two people, um, yeah, where there's love and trust and vulnerability and um, consent uh, and all of those things, that that is what real sexual relationships should be. I mean, I've seen plenty of relationships, but they're not married. They're not. They've never been in a church and got married or anything like that. But 
they're closer and more intimate and have a stronger relationship than many couples that I know that are married. You know, uh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons, that's, that's, it ties into the framework of this book because it's, I think that a lot of people are in this, this deconstruction that you're clearly in. Um, and that I'm in, you know, kind of deconstructing, constructing our faith and, and seeing and seeking God, you know, behind that faith. Because God is so much bigger than all of our faith structures and our, any religion and any book. Um, and, you know, God is bigger than anything that can be contained, right? So we're in, in the process of deconstructing. I think we're trying to get out of those containers that, mm. that, um, specific approach, you know, approaches to religious understanding. Um, that's all we can do is try to create these understanding um, baskets, right? It's, it's human. It's all we have. It's all we can do. But God is bigger. And so I think our efforts to deconstruct are efforts to get out of those constraints, to get beyond those constraints. And so many different things can kick that off. Right now, there's, I think, part of this huge wave of, of deconstruction that's happening in the, across the world, at least in Western societies. I don't know what's happening in other societies. Um, is, you know, the, the issues of sexuality and gender are, are prompting a lot of people to start on the journey. And because we've, we've got these big constructions of, of, around sex. Um, but there's, there's a lot of things that can start it. But in sexuality, we have had this purity culture that you started with talking about um, that people are rejecting because it is so shame-focused. It is mm. so, um, it's like making sex dirty, and it makes um, girls feel like they're responsible for the actions of males um, and controlling, you know, and it creates women who are sexually assaulted feeling like they deserve it. And it opens women up also to abuse because it also trains women that that's their function, right? That that's what they're supposed to be there for. Um, so people are kind of deconstructing all of that. And um, as a result, though, there's this pendulum swing. So there's, a, there's increasing numbers of books and, and um, people talking about sex um, as a swing away from purity culture. But... Um, in a way that's almost anything goes. And in my thinking about it, and one of the reasons I thought that this book was necessary, is that I don't think God is in the, at the poles. I think God is like a both-and God rather than an either-or black-and-white God. And sexuality is so nuanced and complicated, right? It's beautiful and glorious and, and, and leads to tremendous... Um, gorgeousness and also to incredible dysfunction and chaos in our lives. Mm. It, it has the power to do both. Um, and so the anything goes kind of mindset, I think, is also not where God is and also not what is good for us and healthy for us. So um, I think so this, this book is meant to be probing where God is in uh, in that kind of unity and the you know the two souls merging that you were talking about true intimacy 
but also looking at some of the difficult topics like uh, um, pornography and infidelity and um, sex work and BDSM and things like that, and trying to figure out okay, where God, where is God in that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's an interesting topic. I, uh, I didn't get. A chance. I wasn't able to read the book before uh, before we did this show, and I'm really looking forward to reading it now. It's um, it's yeah, it sounds it sounds incredible. And uh, one thing I was thinking about as well was um, that kind of like you say, where where sex is dirty, you know, because of this shame based culture uh, that you know that somehow grown up around it because of purity culture. Uh, and I was just thinking about um, there's some countries in Europe where they educate people on sex, on the kind of biology of it, um, rather than the kind of the other stuff um, at a young age, you know, when they're kind of in early school. So they understand the science of it and how it works, and, uh, and they can be educated a little bit on the kind of emotional side and what will happen chemically in the body and everything like that before they get to puberty. So by the time they get to puberty, it's normalised, and because it's not this big, this big thing, and it's not prohibited. It's not like, like this all oh, naughty, off limits kind of, don't talk about it kind of thing. Um, I think it's the Netherlands. This is this I'm talking about. Their teenage pregnancy rates are right down. People don't have two teenagers don't have sex till they're older. And until they're and largely until they're in a relationship, it's not yeah. a big deal because they've already been educated on it and it's already been kind of normalised and there's no shame around it uh, and there's no kind of prohibition or anything like that. Yeah. And they have a much healthier culture sexually, you know, less less teenage pregnancies, less uh, all of that. Like you know, it's it's just healthier, and that's what right. that's what can happen when you have a healthy sexual ethic culturally but also personally um because you don't have all that shame and kind of naughtiness and guilt and um all that all those psychological barriers to overcome and it's completely different uh, and it's a lot healthier yeah i think the focus um the key the heart of this book is that you know we're all carriers of the divine mm-hmm. and that we need to honor that in each other and so there's there's kind of two pieces to this book one is that mm-hmm. we're carriers of the divine and that we need to honor that and that god is always with us and that we can kind of yeah. call on god to be with us in our sexuality but if i think that if we are educated about issues of sexual orientation Yep. gender identity, biology, and then we also incorporate the deep understanding that each person is so worthy, you know, are like carriers of the universe and beloved and valued um, and unique and special, right? If we put those together, I think that's the answer. To the problem of, of, of sexuality. I mean, it's still, we're still going to have to fight our when our drives, you know, lead us towards selfishness. I think selfishness is a big problem that we have to battle um, in our sexuality. Um, but if we can, when we're trying to raise our young people, 
to not just say no, right? The just say no campaign didn't work for drugs and it doesn't work for sexuality. Um, and it, you know, it, the purity culture didn't work. But if we're focusing on teaching our children to deeply respect other people and to honor them and value mm. them and treat them the way that every human deserves to be loved and treated, and they know all those other bits that you know that you mentioned and the issues of sexuality or sexual orientation and gender identity and um, uh, you know have some education about those issues. I think that so many of the problems related to sex in our culture would go away. Yeah. yeah. The dogs just got alarmed. So if you hear something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and you're right though. Education is so important. Yeah, and yeah, and it's not to say it's not. And you, what you're saying is right. It's not that we're suddenly saying, "Oh, be promiscuous and have sex with everybody, and do whatever you like." That's not. It's not either or in that sense. It's not either you either you get married and save sex and marriage, or you just go and have sex with everybody. It's that's that's a very dualistic kind of binary way of looking at it. Uh, it's much more nuanced than that, uh, and yeah, because like we've talked about, you can have intimacy with somebody without um, without having a wedding ring on, and uh, you can have intimacy with different partners at different times. You can have different. I mean, like people have different relationships uh, which each mean something to them you know maybe sometimes I think Elizabeth Gilbert said sometimes a successful marriage sometimes successful marriages end but the marriage was successful and that it that it was broke for the time that it happened and and both both people in the in the marriage were happy and uh, and had a great time had a great marriage and it just and it's just a season that ended and I've seen marriages like that where it's just happened, where it's just ended like that, and it's ended really well because both part partners just accepted, yeah, well this was this was great, and now it's over, and we still care about each other, but we're moving into a different season, and it, that it can be like that. Uh, I think. Well, it's sort of insane how we, so much of Christianity has reduced God into being such a rule so focused on these rules that we humans can understand and lay out, right? This is the creator of the universe, this universe that's still expanding, yeah. that has these wonders that we can barely comprehend, even in you know, simple biology or oceanography or um, you know, the rainforest, the, the stuff that we will we'll never see that's unfolding and that it's mm. complex and... Um, mind-blowing. We don't understand space. There's so many mysteries. We don't understand gravity, really. Um, but we think, so So we say, on the one hand, that, that God is the creator of all those things, right? And yet, if you get married and then you divorce in some traditions, you can't remarry because that is, is sinful. Or, you know, you, you if you cheat on your spouse and you don't you know, go to confession or repent or whatever your form is, then you're probably going to go to hell. If you if you're in love with, if you're a man and you're in love with a man and you have special relations with them, you're certainly going to burn in hell. I mean, how how are those two things simultaneously um, 
you know, coexistence. It, it, it makes no sense. God is so much bigger than our little petty concerns. So much of this stuff seems so petty to me, right? Like our little, our little snippings at each other about how, what it means to, to, to be a Christian and, and how to do it right and, and you're doing it wrong. They're so petty for a God who's so big. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, that's right. God is not about a list of rules that you have to keep. It goes back to what you said earlier, God is love, you know. Uh, and when two people love each other and have that connection with each other, that that can express each other, itself in numerous ways. Uh, and you don't have to, again, you don't have to have a ring on to express that. Uh, yeah, like you were saying, I've seen, I've seen, I know relationships where the sexual, um, their their relationship, they could be not married, but the relationship is so much of a more of a model of what God would seem, a God of love would seemingly have in mind for what they want, what God wants. And then I've seen married couples who are just a horror show that you don't even want to be around because they're so nasty to each other, or you know that one is cheating on the other all the time or whatever yeah absolutely and you can't say that god approves of kind of that awful marriage where somebody's cheating on the other and where both are unhappy and where there's some kind of emotional abuse or whatever going on and not the unmarried couple who are connected and intimate are on the same wavelength who are partner with each other and have a healthy relationship and are expressing that love to each other in a healthy way, you, you know, you, God can't, God would not disapprove of that. No, and the the idea, oh, what marriage means, has changed so much since the days that the, you know, since the centuries over which the scriptures were written, that um, our demand, you know, modern day demands that sexuality be constrained within them is just silly because marriage doesn't mean now what it meant then you know it, we try to stuff our um we try to stuff modern under modern life into the words of the bible in ways that were never meant um to be you know those, those words never meant to be used how we use them um and we abuse that We've used the privilege of the scriptures, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard like that before. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So. So, what's the biggest lesson that you learn, kind of, working on this book that, and from your own experiences as well, that that you want to pass on to other people who are kind of trying to work themselves out of purity culture into a healthy sexual ethic? Well, one of the things is that, you know, I find that sometimes I write in order to figure things out. The process of writing, I don't know if you're finding that in your own writing. Yeah, that, absolutely. Um, just doing it helps you work through what you think. And in some of these topics, that was really useful for me because I sat down and I didn't know what I thought about. You know, sex, sex work, for example is a topic that's very hot right now. Um, and I have, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say what, you know, what I put in the book, I'll let people read that. But 
in writing it, I had to kind of, because I'm, I'm trying to find the heart of God in what I was passing along in each of these days' contemplations. It doesn't matter what I think, right? I mean, my opinion is, is worth zero. Um, what I can do is pass along what I'm hearing and, and you know, praying about and sort of receiving. Um, but it, it doesn't mean anything, and that everyone needs to kind of go through that process themselves. That in my book is not meant to be a prescriptive replacement for what purity culture tells you. It's really meant to be thought-provoking, conversation-provoking, and to help people work through what they think um, about these various issues uh, to come up with their own understanding. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I think God is, you know, we're, we're told we'll be sorted, you know, sheep from goats based on our, our behaviors. And the, the whole idea of judgment is, you know, judgment is not an on-off switch. If you do these things, you know, otherwise there is, if, if our salvation um, is based on a, an on-off switch of right or wrong sets of things, judgment is not required. Judge, a judge is required and judgment is required when a whole bunch of stuff has to be sifted through and analyzed and assessed, right? Mm. So when we have a God of love who is assessing us and who's constantly aware of us and is inside of us, you know, more, more conscious of our choices and our thinking and our reality than we are, they're going to be endlessly empathetic and sympathetic with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and decisions. So, you know, just the process of wrestling through this stuff, I, I think that it's much less about right and wrong as it is about each of us trying to seek God and doing our best. And, you know, God's going to honor that. And if the chances are my views on all of this stuff is going to shift again. And I, I hope that it actually does. I hope I'm always growing and that God is always whispering and so that I'm leaning in and trying to hear more and trying to, to, to experience more of God and know more of God. Um, so, you know, I guess, uh, you know, the, the biggest takeaway from me in this is, is that it needs to be an individual journey, that each person needs to address this, on the, have this be a conversation with God who desires intimacy um, with, with them, with, you know, you and I and every human. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really great. I love that. And it is, it is our own journey. I've been on my own journey. I'm still on my own journey of exploring this myself. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening who are doing the same thing. And, you know, it's good to know we're not alone because there's a lot of people who are working through this issue uh, and this area in particular. And to know that there's other people going through it is really, really important. And to know there's other people who've worked through it and are maybe ahead of them and have learned some lessons that they can pass on like you have is really encouraging as well it's encouraging for me um and i'm sure it's encouraging for other people as well so thank you uh and where can people get your book uh and how can people connect with you so my spouse is very active on social media. There's the Where True Love Is Facebook page. Um, they post all kinds of really lovely content on there, encouraging, informative to the LGBTQIA crowd plus others. Um, there's also Where True Love Is Twitter account. There's mine. Um, I'm 
Suzanne Dewitt Hall. I don't remember what my handle is on Twitter. Um, I maintain that one myself, but they do most of the social media for the other, for the Where True Love is entities. And I'm also on Facebook. You can get my books from the Where True Love is uh, website or from the, the you know, 50,000 pound gorilla Amazon. And of course, through your favorite independent bookstore. Awesome. Awesome. And I would encourage people to get that. I'm going to be getting that book. Uh, I wish I'd had a chance to read it before this episode. Um, but um, uh, being in the UK, it's difficult to get <laughs> difficult to get hold of it over here. But uh, but um, but I, I would recommend that. And judging on what we've heard tonight, especially, it's uh, um, I can't wait to, to read that. So thanks for coming on the show, Suzanne. I really appreciate it. It was completely my pleasure. So nice to talk to you. Yeah, and to you. So. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Take care, and we'll talk again soon.